welcome to Contemplate, a podcast ministry brought to you by Axe Church. Pastor David Robinson is our teacher, and today will continue helping us understand the problem of pain and evil and the love of God. Please get out your Bible as we join Pastor David with today's episode recorded live at Axe Church. Now, let's, let's get to unpacking how the Christian God can exist and be all-powerful and all-knowing and all-loving, and yet evil could be allowed. So here's the argument, the Christian argument in its basic form. A world with humans who have moral free will is better than a world where humans do not have moral free will. God can create a world where humans have moral free will, but he cannot create a world where humans never freely choose evil. Because if he did, then humans would not have truly had free will. What you have to understand when you think about the Christian argument that solves the logical problem of evil is that God is a God of love. God is love. The highest thing is love. Right? John Lennon told us, all you need is love, baby. God is love. Now, When you understand that, you can understand a little bit more about this problem. But in order to illustrate a little, let me give you uh, an example. Let's just say that you um, really like somebody, girlfriend that you want, or boyfriend, or that you're, you know, someone you want to be your spouse, or a friend, a child, whatever it is, and you want them to love you. So you get the magic fairy tale potion, right? You go to the potion lady or man. I don't, you know, I'm not sexist. Whatever. There can be potion men. And you say, I want a potion to make this person love me. I want them to love me. And they go, all right. Whip it up, little eye of newt, whatever they put. They're always putting eye of newt in these things. Um, They get it ready for you. Here's your potion. You take your potion, you go to that person, you get their coffee cup or their milkshake or whatever it is, and there it goes. Potion in the thing. They take it. They love you, right? They're just affectionate. They can't get enough of you. Oh, you're so wonderful. Oh, whatever. And and for a moment there, you're so happy with it. Oh, the potion worked. It made them love me. But after a little while, you start to go, do they love me? Or did I make a robot? If I get the love potion, all you've done is made somebody act like they love you or act out actions that make you feel loved. But eventually you won't feel loved because it's not real. It's not real. Now, as we think through this, let's leave that aside for a second and let's talk about what it means when we say that God is all-powerful because the problem with the problem of evil is that every premise in it if there was a God that was all-powerful and all-loving and all. The problem is, it dies the death of a thousand qualifications, as Robbie Zacharias says. What does it mean to say God is all-powerful? We use the word omnipotence. Omnipotence means God is all-powerful. What does that mean? He can do anything, right? He can do anything. But then my son comes along and says, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? Can he do that? And I have to go, oh, I don't, I don't know. 
What does it mean to say that God can do anything? Let's talk about things that are impossible. We'll talk about things that are impossible for me. There are practical impossibilities and logical impossibilities. A practical impossibility is something that could be done, but I just don't have the power to do it, like dunking a basketball, right? It could be done if I wasn't fat and I was younger, taller, then I could dunk a basketball, right? There's nothing intrinsically or logically impossible about it. I just can't do it because I'm overweight and old. It's it's impossible, but it's just a practical impossibility. I just don't happen to have the power. If I had more power, I could do it. But logical impossibilities are things like, I can't make a square circle, right? That's a logical impossibility. It carries its impossibility on its face. The very sentence, it's nonsense, right? It's nonsense. So when we say God can do anything, we're talking about things, not nonsense. Things. So if we say that God can create a person with free will that would never choose evil, that's nonsense. If they have free will, they must be able to choose evil. Right? There is no such thing as a creature with free will but that doesn't have free will. Now, let's get back to, to our love potion and all the rest of this. If God's highest thing for us, which we know the two greatest commandments, love God and love your neighbor, right? We have to be able to choose love because love potions that make somebody love, that's not love. That's a chemical reaction to the eye of Newt that makes you be really nice to somebody. That's not love. That's not love. In order to have love, you have to have the choice to not love. Have to have the choice. If God wanted to give you, if he wanted to give you the ability to experience love, his love for you, the joy of your love for him, your love for your child, their love for you. If you wanted to have the opportunity to do that, it was logically impossible for him to do that without giving you the ability to also do evil. It's impossible. Some people say, well, why couldn't he have just um, made it so that whenever we did choose evil, the evil thing didn't really happen? Like he's going to make the whole world out of nerf or something, right? Right? Like, no one can ever get hurt. Nothing bad can ever happen. When you're going to say something mean, all of a sudden it falls apart when it comes out of your mouth. The problem is that's not choice. If he takes away the ability to actually do something evil, then you don't really have the choice to do something evil. You're right back to love potions. Because the only thing that you can actually do is the good thing. That's not free will. That's not free will. This is the solution to the logical problem of evil. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, I'm not that satisfied with that. I still don't like evil and suffering. So it kind of raises another problem. It's what I'm going to call the problem of creation. This is the problem of creation. If God knew that people would choose to do evil and that this would cause pain and suffering, why would he choose to create the world at all? Or why not create the world with robots, non-free will beings, just 
You know, he could have enjoyed watching the robots walk around and do whatever it is he had programmed them to do, but no evil would happen, no suffering. So when he's in this position, create or don't create, and he sees if I create, there's going to be all this suffering. Look what's going to happen to all those who have died in war and genocide. It's a real, a real problem. Why create rather than not create? Now, here's the thing about trying to answer the problem of creation. Your life, if you're really lucky, I'm going to give you 120 years. Medical science is moving forward. So you get 120 years. Realistically, I think we're talking about a lot less, okay? Especially most of you that I'm seeing right now, right? Y'all aren't making it 120 years, okay? But let's say 120 years. That's about this in a line as long as this room, right? From what we know. Your knowledge, your ability to know anything is incredibly limited. So when you ask yourself a question like, should God have created or not have created, you need a few more facts than you're capable of having. You can't know because you're not eternal. You don't see the end and the beginning. You don't know how it all works out. So it's impossible for you to stand in judgment of God. Impossible. To do so would be incredibly arrogant. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do it. There's a fellow named Job. And Job loved the Lord. Says he was blameless. He did what he was supposed to do. He was a good boy. Had a lot of kids. Had a lot of stuff. And God allowed Satan to harm him. And all of his kids died. And all of his stuff was gone. And then Job got these nasty boils all over him. And he ended up sitting out in a garbage heap, scratching his boils. Pain. Suffering. And Job... Ask the problem of creation. Job 3, 3 through 4, he says this, May the day perish on which I was born. And the night in which it was said a male child was conceived, may that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. He said, look, God, why did you make me? When I was going to have to go through all this suffering, it would have been better if you had not created. And I'm sure some of us have felt that before. When we've gone through suffering, we've questioned, God, why did you ever have me be born? He's cursing the day he was born. He's asking the problem of creation. God, why? Why create instead of not create? But Job was just a human, just like us, with a very short time span, and a very short amount of knowledge. And God comes and he decides to answer Job. And God says this, Job 38, 1 through 4. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, "By, oh, I'm sorry, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. And you know you're in trouble when God says that to you. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And he goes on. Where were you when I did this? Do you know how to do this? Can you make a tree? Can you make an animal? What do you know? You're telling me that I shouldn't have made you? What do you know? 
And Job's like, I, I, you know, eventually, I don't know anything. He got served. Right? God worked him. Because Job is making statements that are stupid. Why are they stupid? Because he doesn't have the knowledge. He doesn't have the knowledge. Now, we think about this problem without knowledge. But have you ever had a dream, a really bad dream? And something in that dream happens that's really bad. Something happens to one of your kids or your spouse or something. And, and it's so bad and you're suffering and, oh my goodness, and you wake up and you realize it was just a dream. And it fades away. In the dream, you were suffering. It was real. You were right there. It was horrible. But when you wake up, it's gone like a whisper. Not only is it gone, but you are so joyful and happy to realize the life that you do have. Has that ever happened? Anybody? It's happened to me. How do you know it's not like that? How do you know? What do you know? You're going to judge God? Now, by the way, after Job was done suffering, God gave him twice as much as he'd had before. So Job is doing all right for himself. But God does give us some sense of what the end of the story is. In Romans 8.18, it says this. Paul says, the Holy Spirit says through Paul, actually, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul know what suffering was? Everywhere he went, people were throwing rocks at his head. He's in prison. He's getting beat. He's getting shipwrecked. He's got a thorn in the flesh. This guy knew suffering. You think you know suffering? Some of you may. But if you do, you're just like Paul. Paul knew suffering. And yet the Holy Spirit is saying, through him, I do not consider these to be anything compared to what's about to happen. I consider our present sufferings cannot compare with the glory that's coming. And God tells us this. He says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We sang this song today. All things work together for your good. He's telling you that, yes, you're suffering, but in the end it's going to be okay. In verse 31 he says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God has given you an idea that the, thing that the way that things are now with the suffering and the evil that exist is going to be nothing. All the suffering that you can imagine. Remember, all the suffering that you can imagine is always temporary. It's temporary. How does that compare to eternal joy? How do you know that it would have been better for God not to create? And by the way, many of you have had this conundrum that, you're, that you may put on God about creation. Do you know that? If anyone's had a baby, they've had the problem of creation. You knew. Let's talk about what you knew. Let's have a baby, honey. That sounds fantastic. What do I know? I know that my baby will be born and that my baby will suffer. Right out of the gate, they're crying. Right? Suffering. Right from the beginning. That they'll suffer throughout their life and that eventually they'll die. I knew that before I decided to create, to have a baby. I also knew that I would have to suffer. 
If any of you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. Amen? You would have to suffer. You also knew that your child was going to cause other people to suffer. You knew all of these things and yet said, it is better that I should have this child and give it the opportunity, give him or her the opportunity to exist and have the opportunity to love and see and, and have joy. It's better that I do that, even though I know that they may, they will suffer. They may be evil. They may be evil. They may grow up and do horrible things. But I'm willing to risk it, even though I know they're suffering. So that's how you answer the problem of creation. And you know this. What do you think? You think God might know a little bit more? Here's the other thing. Suffering is sometimes good. If you think about it with your kids, sometimes you let them go through it. There's a Disney Pixar movie called Finding Nemo. Um, some of you have probably seen that. And Marlin is this fish, and he's got a, a kid fish, and the kid's fish name is Nemo. And Marlin's uh, always trying to protect Nemo. Not let anything bad happen to Nemo. Keep Nemo from any pain, from any suffering. And Nemo ends up sort of rebelling against that, go figure, and off Nemo goes to Australia, and Marlon's got to go find him, and he's, and he's in this current, and there's this turtle named Crush, and he's got a little baby turtle whose name is Squirt, I found out, somebody yelled that out last time, um, and Squirt, Crush deals with Squirt much differently than Marlon deals with Nemo. Crush lets Squirt experience things and take the risk of pain so that Squirt will learn things. And Squirt ends up flying out of the current, and they're all continuing to move. And, and Marlon's saying to Crush, oh, man, you know, you've got to go help Squirt. And, and Crush, who's kind of this surfer turtle dude, is like, dude, chill, man. Let's see what he does. That's a fantastic impression, by the way. <laughs> if you didn't know. Squirt pops back into the thing, and he's okay. The point was that he had to be willing to risk pain and possibly go through some pain to learn anything. This guy named Malcolm Muggeridge. He's a Christian, and he says, he says this. Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness. Whether pursued or attained, this, of course, is what the cross signifies, and it is a cross more than anything else that has called me inexorably to Christ. Now listen, what he's saying is no pain, no gain. Suffering had to happen for everything that I think is worthwhile that I've ever had. And then he says, that leads me to the cross. And this is the last point that we're going to make. Let's not forget that God suffered too. He did not make this world and leave you to suffer in it. He came and suffered too. This is what Isaiah the prophet says about Jesus Christ. It says, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. 
He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. God provided the only answer to suffering that we have. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen. God didn't have to suffer for you. He gave you free will. We talked about that. You made the choice to reject him. You made the choice to sin, to choose yourself. You did. He didn't owe you anything. But in that love that we talked about that God has, even though he owed you nothing, he came down and suffered and died for you. Jesus had to choose to allow himself to be brutalized and murdered. That's what he had to experience for you. And God the Father had to experience sending his own son to experience that brutalization and that murder. That, that's suffering. You think you know what suffering is? And yet he thought it was worth it even though he himself had to suffer. God is not a God who made us and said, hey, you're going to choose good, you're going to choose evil, go ahead and make your choice, and you deal with it. No, he said, not only am I going to create you free, the greatest gift you could ever have, but when you screw it up, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it, no matter what it costs. And it costs. I know that this doesn't necessarily always help those who are going through suffering right now. But knowing this helps us. It helps us when we do go into those times and we question God to believe that he's there and that he's real and that there is more to the story and that we are more than conquerors. I got to proclaim the good news. Jesus suffered he died on the cross, he rose again, and that it is that that gives you the opportunity to escape suffering. The Christian worldview is the only worldview that gives you a true answer for suffering. Not get rid of all desires, become a non-person. Not, oh, you're going to always suffer because you're evil and God righteously is going to punish you all the time. Not do enough good and you'll get there. But a God who suffered, a God who died, a God who rose, it's the only answer out there. The problem of evil is solved in Christ. You've been listening to Pastor David Robinson from Acts Church here on Contemplate. The only answer to the pain and evil that we see all around us is Jesus. And if a relationship with Him is something you realize you need in your life, or you still have questions, come see us here at Acts Church this Sunday morning. We'd love to help you know the peace and hope that makes all the difference. Get directions and all the info you need at axcamus.org or call 360 
885-985-9000. Hope to see you this Sunday, and I hope you'll listen to our next episode here on Contemplate.